Hello, my name is Matthew Marvin. We're at Justice Junkies. Um, just for you guys who don't know, I've got a degree in business. I'm going to show you guys real quick before we introduce our guest what I've learned in business. Lana, can you give us an intro? <laughs> you want me to give you an intro? <laughs> That's what I learned in business. Okay, uh, intro. So Justice Junkies with Bob and with Matthew and, and the happy Lana over here. I guess that's the only thing that I've got to say. Are we doing an intro for Bob? Yeah, we'll introduce him. Uh, this is Bad Bob. Bad Bob. From Fight Junkies. Um, excellent show. Love the show, man. Um, glad to have you on. I'm glad we could finally connect in person versus on the internet. We're about to tear this shit up. Are you ready? Facts. My man. So I got some questions for you about the show, by the way. Before you start, I, I want to also relay thank you. Go for it. Thank you for letting me uh, be a part of this. Okay. Um, it's a big part of my life for the majority of my life. Yeah. And due to certain things, it's not part of my life anymore. Um, right. But I still see it. And okay. I'm not happy. So right. to see someone that has the same energy and same output and basically I believe the same the same feelings and looks on these things. It's honored to be here because um, I know you have a big platform, you know, a lot of people. And for you to think of me, I'm, I, I just want to say thank you. Bro, I got to go into like a segue of this because you introduced it like that. It's also 9-11. For those of you who don't know, we're filming on 9-11. And this is a military veteran. So this is honestly, it's my pleasure. Yeah. And my 100%. dad was in 9-11. See? Know? He was, he no was, way. We, we yeah, my dad just, all that. my dad was, yeah, he was there at Ground Zero all day today with us at a ceremony for his, oh, all his uh, buddies that passed away. But yep. yeah, by all means, all right. you're the man. Justice Junkies, thank you. <laughs> you got it. So I have to ask you a question about your show, right? Who are your fans? Whew, I'd like to believe they're people just like me. Okay, and who would that be? Can you go elaborate a little bit on that? Who is just like you? The, the regular Joe. <laughs> the, you sure? Now you well, seem a little extraordinary. You don't really seem regular to me. And I think that's why I do well, because I, I, my ego uh, is not there. It wasn't my 20s. I was yeah. stifler. Uh, well, you're also from Jersey. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to say that they're they're mostly fight fans. They're uh, people that enjoy the fight community, uh, the banter, the shit talk, um, just the general hard work that goes into being an athlete. And who doesn't want to watch a fight? You could right. be anywhere in the world. Right. Doing anything you want. If a fight breaks out, you're going to look. Oh, yeah. 100%. So I'd like to say, you know, a lot of the blue-collar guys that get off and want to just drink a big cold one with their buddies on a Saturday. Okay. Uh, while their kids play outside. Okay. I think that's my guys. I think you just answered my next question, I guess. I mean, my next question was, who are you doing this for and why? That's a pretty... It's a, it's a hard, weighted, it's an right? easy, but it's, yeah, it's a weighted question. Okay. My, my whole life I've been into mixed martial arts and I used to, I used to compete. Um, and then I did jujitsu, you know, in, in, in the military and competed, uh, in Iraq and, uh, competed a little bit in Louisiana. I, and this whole time I'm a huge fan of mixed martial arts and the UFC, uh, ultimately the UFC. Okay. So having a Rolodex of 20 plus years as a fight fan. Yeah posting about all of this stuff um, and then randomly being asked by a mutual friend we have uh, yep. to come host the show. It was a, it was the first time in 37 years that I could do something that I genuinely have a passion and a love for um, as a job. Okay. See, so you answering my questions ahead of time. My next question was, how does it make you feel when you produce this content? You want to elaborate any more past what you did? Or let's yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> And when I say unbelievable, it's because it's very cliche, as we all know. It's almost fucking cheesy mm -hmm. for people to say, y y y if you do what you love, you're never going to work again. Right. Like, how many times have we heard that, that uh, shit? So many times. But it's true, you know, and I put um, so much more time and effort into Fight Junkies than what's seen. I'm talking, I mean, it's, it's almost never ending because mm. now our office is in our hand and our phone. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. You know, and until my wife's like, get off the goddamn phone. <laughs> Hello. Uh, which she doesn't do a lot, um, but I'm very scared of her. Until she does that, like, it's just what I would be doing anyway. So. Okay. I love it. I, 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 it and, I and people like me that are have the things that we'll probably get into that I, the demons I have, I mm -hmm. have to be on. Yeah. Because I, I can't sit still. The devil, he likes when I sit still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Idle hands. Yeah. So. What is it specifically that attracts you to fighting? Is it the technique, psychology, the strategy, the training that goes into it? I think the attraction to fighting was that I'm, I'm now I'm a six foot, 200, 
10 pound tatted up war vet, but that's just the exterior and the inside. I'm, I, I'm, I've always had a lot of fear. Uh, I've got bullied as a kid a lot. Um, some of it very well earned, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I was always the smaller in stature, skinny kid. Um, I still got chicken legs to this day and seeing the most violence you could ever see, uh, in combat, mm-hmm. I've always drawn to, well, what happens if you, if your gun jams, what happens if, if you're not trained? I always gotta have a backup plan, yeah, put a gotta, backup plan. Yeah. And, and I love Jean-Claude Van Damme growing up, you yeah. know, there was my Lionheart, yeah. all his movies, Steven Seagal. I mean, that was our era. We we're basically yeah. the same age, you know, yeah. uh, how could you not? The, I'm trying to get one of the three ninjas on my show. Yeah. You know, cult. Yeah. Okay. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So next question, what attracts you to slap boxing? Oof. You know what, it, to, to get real and honest, because uh-huh. um, I could say, yeah, I'm trying to get clicks and this and that. I'm trying to get on Dana's good graces. And some of that would be true. Yeah. But at the end of the day, being 37 with a little with a bad back and a, and a gut and, and have no cardio and I'm out of shape now, I could relate to these people. Yeah. If I see some heavy dude that's got a little bit of a beard and he looks like he's drinking some Budweiser's on Sunday, yeah. I'm like, that's me. Yeah. If he could do that shit, I can go smack a shit out of somebody. Yeah. <laughs> So my, <laughs> my only problem with slap boxing is, right, I don't think they do enough story building. Like the guys who do the slap boxing, I've never heard like backstories on them to do like character building. You know what I'm saying? So to me, that would be something I can improve. And also, at any given time, bro, I could turn on Facebook and watch black chicks slap wigs off and makeup fly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> so if you were ahead of slap boxing, what would you improve? That's hard to say. Um, the production, I'd say, is key, and they have that dialed in because of the team behind the UFC slap. Uh, you know, power slap is where mm-hmm. where it is now because of the production and the the preciseness of knowing how to build a company and get the output out there. Okay, I would like to personally. I want. I want it like you said, story building. I want to see the kid in Louisiana who's uh, you know at a crawfish boil talking shit with his <laughs> friends playing dominoes. I want. I want yeah. to get to know these people a little more. Um, I know that they had him in the house, just like the Ultimate Fighter, mm-hmm. which is dope. But a little more of what – and granted, it's a new show. I'm sure they're going to get right. there. they got to build out the stars. I have like five or six of these guys that follow me. They're going to come on the show. Um, friends with one of them, the black guy who said, that guy, they got right. that dog in me. Um, I think they should travel too. The Apex is just a perfect incubator for – what they want to produce so it's everything's already there it's their house yeah but i'd like to, yeah let, let's go it's not just guys that are signed take some power slap guys go find some fucking nutty crazy juiced out dude in russia yeah you know drink a couple shots of vodka story build a little yeah, bit. yeah like, do some wild shit to a little bit more right but they got to be more corporate because yeah you know and obviously it's working yeah, but I mean, still, like, we're about the same age, right? I mean, I think that's why WWE fell off, bro, because there was The Rock, there was Stone Cold. They had such good stories in the beginning, and then now it's like male dancing. It's kind of like shit with no story, on my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you feel about that? I think that wrestling, and you're you're right. That's such 38, 37, when we grew up, we had the pillows that we would wrestle. <laughs> yeah. we, we had trampolines at our friend's house, and we'd beat the shit out of each other. Yep. Wrestling at, the, that, at that time was all we had in regards to a combat sport. Right. I think that mixed martial arts is what killed WWE. You know, when and I was age. a kid, I didn't I didn't like UFC when I was a kid. Like I didn't it was too boring to me. It was too slow, but now as I'm older, yeah. but you got to think when I when we was kids, I guess the adults were always watching it. So is it like an age group thing for UFC? What do you think about? Yeah, it's like Santa Claus, right? <laughs> yeah. You get you know, we all believe in Santa and then we get a little older and we realize it's all bullshit. Yeah, a beautiful yeah. pile of shit. Yeah, of bullshit. <laughs> and when I grew up, got a little older, and I realized that WWE, WWF was was bullshit. Yeah. Um, I wanted to watch people really go in there and fight. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So also something we got to talk about. You from Jersey, right? Yeah. Jersey. Yep. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit about the changes you've seen over the years in Atlantic City? Oh God! <laughs> Holy shit! <sighs> oh my God! When I grew, when I was a kid, my grandma, Atlantic City was like Vegas mm-hmm. back in the day. Beautiful. You could go there, walk the boardwalk, have a nice dinner. It was a, it was a really nice place. Yeah. 
when I was in high school, 99, 03, it was still nice, but like I, I, I remember, this is how I'll describe it. I could buy a 40 at 16 years old there and get weed <laughs> from almost anybody. Really? And no one gave a shit. Yeah. Because it was the hood. Yeah. The same as Asbury Park. Um, I had a friend who, when I was coming back from, from being overseas for so many years, was like, hey, uh, I want to take you to a dinner in Atlantic City. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I thought you were sober. You're still a drug addict. I'm not, like, jokingly. Because yeah. that's how bad AC was. Yeah. And he was like, nah, they gentrified it. You haven't been there. It's gorgeous. Okay. A lot of the Hasidic Jewish community and, and the uh, LGBTQ community put all a lot of money in. And now it's like, it's beautiful. Yeah. But it's not, when I was a kid, it was, you know, you buy crack over there, every, you know, for 10 bucks from <laughs> your grandma. It was bad. Right. Real bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, which I guess kind of leads me to my next question. Did you have PTSD before the military? <laughs> you know, I, I can say that looking in hindsight, I probably did from the divorce that my parents went through. Mm -hmm. I, I have no, when I, and I truly mean this, I have no memory of my mother and father together except for my dad holding me in one arm and my brother in the other screaming and crying, please don't take the kids. Yeah. And my mom got in a van and left. Hmm. That's the only memory I have. And yeah. my dad raised us with my grandma. So I think PTSD started at a young age. That's probably why I'm on my third marriage yeah. because of abandonment issues and needing a woman in my life and, and always feeling like I'm not good enough and giving too much love and not having enough self-love yeah. and thinking I can't, I have to, you know, people, I've had a lot of people say like, man, you always had the hot chick. You were all, you've had tons of girlfriends. How come you're never just single? You're always in a relationship. I think that's why I've always just been missing something. I tried to fill that shit because of the post-traumatic stress of being a seven-year-old watching mommy bounce. Yeah. And she can just, you know, my mom's like a third cousin to me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's, you know. Understandable. Is that, that, that sounds like it could be a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so do you remember a time when you couldn't make a left turn in jersey <laughs> <laughs> oh how do you know about this hey i, I talked to people in new york holy <laughs> shit they've got questions for you on here that's so funny <laughs> so if you <laughs> if you don't know i'm gonna explain in new jersey it is the city the state of the biggest longest u-turns in the world there's no left turns. <laughs> you have to go through the light and through this ridiculous half a mile U-turn to go back around to be able to go left or straight. All right. That's so funny you said that. So is this one true or false? They say um, in Jersey, everyone lives off of an exit on the parkway. Is <laughs> yeah. that true? Exit 98, baby. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Because the parkway goes from I-95, like exit 98 right there. Well, the parkway goes all the way down. Yeah. But- you know, New Jersey is pretty much linear. The parkway goes right through the whole thing, kind of like a straight line all the way to past Perth Amboy to right up to, to Newark Airport, which then it turns into New York. Yeah. So, if, you know, I don't got to say where you're from. <laughs> you tell me the exit. I'm like, oh, shit, that's Wildwood. You're South Jersey. Or yeah. 98. Oh, you're, you know, that's funny. <laughs> He's talking about exits and U-turns and shit. How do you feel about Bits Lombardi? <laughs> You know, I, I know some people that would passionately answer that question, but I'm not too big on any other sport or anything outside of the UFC. Okay. To be honest. Which is better, North Jersey or South Jersey? Central Jersey, baby. <laughs> Where is Central Jersey? Because I, they say it doesn't exist. They say there's no such thing as Central Jersey. When they talk about pork roll, egg, and cheese, then, <laughs> then you go north-south. Central is where I'm from. I'm from the Jersey Shore. Okay. So Tom's River, Lakewood, Jackson, where they filmed the, uh, the Jersey Shore, the show. Is Jersey Shore God's gift to man? Not if you're from Jersey. <laughs> hey, no offense. I'm not going to say who, but you got, you know, I'm friends with people from the cast. So I love you guys. I was just about to ask you, how do you feel about the show being from Jersey? I think it actually, it put us on the map. Um, certainly brought me home because they started filming in 08 and I was in Iraq. Yeah. So hearing about this show that was going on and, it, you know, and then getting to see episodes while I'm overseas because I was in Iraq out deployed out of germany so i was gone for like forever yeah i got to taste home a little bit so for me it was cool it put us on the map and it was pretty like paulie d shout out to paulie d um it was very 
on point. Like the hair, I had a blowout back in the day. Yeah. Um, the way everybody talked, my accent's pretty much gone now unless I'm like talking to somebody from home. Excuse me. As soon as I get on the phone with my dad from Brooklyn, it's like, it's a wrap. <laughs> but it was cool because Seaside Heights is where, you know, we did our junior formal, our prom. Like every weekend, you're my boy. Hey, we all can't afford a room, but we can all throw 10 bucks down, yeah. buy a couple 30 packs, go to Seaside, get lit in the room, and then walk the boardwalk and just yeah. be, you know, degenerates. And that's what we did every single weekend in, in Jersey. Nice. All right. So how accurate is this stereotype? Uh, people from Jersey or loud, obnoxious, and full of themselves. Is that accurate or no? Completely accurate. <laughs> and right. if you don't like that answer, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about this statement? Is this statement accurate? There's no Jersey accent. Everybody else just pronounces words wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, you will find people in certain parts of Jersey that you won't even know where they're from. And and I, and the reason I grew up with a strong accent that I don't really have now is because my whole family's from Brooklyn. Yeah. And we moved there when we were little. So my in my house, it was the strong Brooklyn accent. South Jersey, a lot of people are from like Philly, so they'll have that Philly accent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jersey's... You can tell, especially with a female, like go to some random gas station in like the middle of Jersey and like get a 45-year-old woman missing some teeth. Yeah. She will like, you'll know right away. Say something to her that pisses her off. And she, yeah, yeah, she, you'll be like, oh, shit, she's got an accent. All right. So um, Dunkin' Donuts. Do people from Jersey love Dunkin' Donuts? And now that you're in Vegas, do you still go to Dunkin' Donuts? I do go to Dunkin' Donuts. But they got their bagels are starting to get shitty. I'll tell you what, the, one of the happiest times of being a new private in Germany was I went uh, on a weekend trip with my boy Santana and Louis. What's up, guys? Uh, to a place called Köln. I speak German, but Americans would say Cologne. Mm -hmm. It's got a big cathedral, but I speak German, so we got to like do more in the city. We went clubbing and stuff. And we were on a, this road that kind of looked like a mall, but outside. Kind of like Fremont in a way. Yeah. And there was a fucking Dunkin' Donuts there. And I was so excited. Went right in, got some donuts. It was like two in the morning. I was pretty trashed, but um, <laughs> yeah. Don't, so back, you know, uh, no fault to anything uh, that I like now, um, but there wasn't, we had Wawa coffee yeah. and uh, Dunkin' Donuts. That was it. Yeah. There, there was nothing else. So it's been a long, it's like a long time staple in Jersey. Yes. Dunkin', okay. yeah, everybody goes to Dunkin' Donuts. All right. So now that you're older and you travel a little bit, right? Or Jersey girls still the best? Because I heard they get wild in Tampa. No, they're not the best. <laughs> no. Is this because you're married? Is this why you're... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm open. I'm too, yeah, no. No, no. I won't um, get you in trouble. All right. No, they're not. They, <laughs> But Jersey girls, and I've said it before, Jersey girls are the only females that I've met that will punch a grown man in the face yeah. and scrap in a parking lot. <laughs> no questions asked. All right. And NorCal girls, they'll throw down too. How do you feel about people from New York? <laughs> <laughs> so I, my mother, father, grand, I spent every summer in Brooklyn, almost every weekend. Uh. Um, so I, I claim New York is home. I lived in Queens for a while with the high school uh. in, in Queens, in, in uh, Grover Cleveland High School in Ridgewood. So to me, um, but there's a distinct difference between a kid whose family's from Brooklyn who visited and the kid that took the Q59 in the subway to get to school every day. <laughs> I, I understand there's a big difference. Um, but I, I claim home, you know, New York's home to me. Okay. What is a Benny? <laughs> My dad's a Benny. <laughs> um, if you don't know, a Benny is somebody in Jersey who is from New York City. That's an uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I can't believe you're, you're fucking asking these questions. You, uh, you'd be like, you ain't from Jersey if I didn't know any of the answers. Like, you liar. So now I guess we're going to um, get into the drug part, if you don't matter. We're going to go a little bit darker, if you don't mind. Let's go dark, bro. The devil's my friend. Let's go. <laughs> my man. He used to be my enemy, but now he's my boy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And you don't have to say this. You can tell me next question at any time. No, we're going to go. Right? What's the pettiest thing you've ever done for drugs? Have somebody buy drugs for all of us and then just do it all myself and lie to them. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's pretty good. Um, like really lie. Like one kid, <laughs> I had to like choke out unconscious in a bathtub. He just happened to fall into the bathroom as I was choking him yeah. because he knew I did his drugs. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I was like, don't you fucking say I'm a liar, motherfucker. And I had to like beat him up to get my point across. But I definitely did your drugs. Was this before or after the military? Way after. This is right. This is uh, 2017 before. You know, I've been sober since uh, July 23rd of 2018. Mm -hmm. So this is in my bad, like, just got out of jail, lost the family days. Does it have anything to do with your military experiences while you went to drugs? Because I heard a lot of people got, like, hooked on morphine and shit like that from the military. Dis uh, no, I think I just love drugs, man. I'm just a true drug <laughs> addict. I could have been a fucking school teacher with both parents yeah. feeding me dinner every night. I still would have been a drug addict. <laughs> All yeah. right. So um, have you ever relapsed? Not since 2018. Uh-huh. But before that, I've tried to get sober 40,000 times. What were the triggers? Where was the pressure coming from? Right in my throat. <laughs> Your tongue gets a little funny. <laughs> so um, just the joy of doing them, or you didn't have anybody like around you, maybe hanging no, around? No, so when I, when, I, when I really went down, I had been abusing Roxy's, and um, I didn't touch heroin until later when the, when the prescriptions died out. They really cracked down in Jersey. But before they did, you could just go to the doctor, and like, I had friends with, that were stealing script books. Bad, and it was, yeah, yeah you could, it, was, it was everywhere. Jeez. Oh, excuse me. Damn, drinking up. Coca-Cola. Yeah, I never down. drink soda. I drink <laughs> nothing but water. At least you're drinking it, not lining it. <laughs> there, you go, there you go. So no, I, I when I first got out of the military, um, I got some. Uh, no, not even. I had a friend of mine, the same kid I choked out. Yeah. You know, we went to school since kindergarten. So in 2012, I had a party at, and uh, like a welcome home. And I remember the only time I ever did a like Percocet type of, of opioid was when I got my wisdom teeth taken out in Germany in the army. Yeah. And I was like, I love this shit. It was like the best thing I ever did. I was I had a bean bag that could hold three adults, and I put it up on my big couch, laid on it, popped Percocets, and yeah. played Call of Duty for like a week because <laughs> they gave me time off. Yeah. So the only time I ever did any type of drug. Um, like opiate, well, I did coke in high school and dumb shit. Uh, but opiate wise, it was when I got out of the military and I had that party, and my friend was like, "Hey, I got a, I got a Roxy." Mm -hmm. If you don't know, Roxy is a blue, thirty milligram Percocet without the Tylenol in it, and you could smoke it, you can crack it up and snort it, or some guys will just, you know, throw right, you know, get yeah. a little water bottle cap and go to town with their vein. I've never shot anything no. um, besides some steroids. <laughs> But uh, I, I, that was it. I got stuck on the blues, and um, you know, it became like a Zelda video game. I was just on a on a quest every yeah. day to yeah. get high, and uh, <laughs> it destroyed my life, literally to the point where, you know, we'll get to it. But I don't remember what the question was. But oh, what were cover? the triggers? Yeah, yeah the, the triggers, triggers yeah, are yeah, yeah. are the 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 divorce, the 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 custody, and and then uh, you know, everyone was telling me when I first got out of jail and like couldn't even go home and got served divorce papers, couldn't see my, my kids. Oh, you got to get sober. And I'm like, well, I'm in the, now I'm in the worst mindset I've ever been. Yeah. Of course I'm not getting sober now. Now I really want to numb it. Yeah. And that, that was obviously detrimental to me and the circumstances at the time. But I, you know, at that time I was so blinded by pain. Yeah. That there was no, there was no getting sober. I didn't want to be alive. So you, your worst downfall i guess the very bottom of drug addiction what did that look like uh like 12 seizures from meth jeez no sleep for a week and getting uh taken in an ambulance to a, an er jeez yeah and and i found out later because i did a lot of like uh research into certain drugs because i wanted to know like what did i do to my body all these years yeah you know because I'm a, I'm a dad and i'm getting older and i, I found out it was a, a mostly probably dehydration of the brain really yeah, from 96 hours of just doing meth and... Uh, Not really thinking about water. Huh? Water or nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, meth is crazy, man. All right. I did it for about a month uh, because I couldn't get anything else. Yeah. Worst drug on earth. Yeah. Oh, my God. Making up scenarios in my head. Shit's like just wild shit. All right. So what is the pettiest thing you've ever seen somebody do for drugs? And you can't say sucking penis because I think that's like a regular norm these days, especially in Vegas. The most petty thing. What's what's the pettiest thing you've seen somebody else do? Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe I just thought about this. <laughs> I used to live in Queens, and there was a little park called, we called it Trilock. And there was like some, you know, it, it was like almost like a garden, but 
it was its shape of a triangle and there was like chairs and we used to smoke blunts and drink 40s there, right? Yeah. And I remember these two chicks that like came up one day at night. It was with my boy Nacho and my boy, uh, who else was I with? Nunes. Gasanacho and John Nunes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were chilling. This is almost 25 years ago. And these two girls, they looked like superstars. They looked sexy as hell from the distance. As they got closer, it was like, oh, God. They were, they were heroin addicts, right? They took us to go chill with them at a house. This is the pettiest shit I've ever seen anyone do. They convinced us that they could not get into their own house. So we helped break them into their house, right? Uh, yeah. I was like 16, drinking. Uh. Then all of a sudden, we see them taking like the PS1 and all this shit. <laughs> and then they bounced. And we're like, what the fuck's going on? It wasn't even their house. So the... Petty, I helped a chick break into someone's house to steal shit to go get high. <laughs> but she definitely had to know who it was. It might have been like a cousin. Like, she was way too comfortable. Yeah. Like, she had to know grandma's asleep upstairs, you know? Yeah. But yeah, helping someone break into somebody else's house, thinking it's their house yeah. so they can rob it to go get high. That was the pettiest, most fucked up shit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Naiveness. Lana, I need you to pay attention to this question because I'm going to ask you after he answers, okay? Copy that. All right. Moving to Vegas, how, to someone, how does someone avoid sleeping with a mental patient? What's the red flags? Come here married. <laughs> <laughs> you came here married? Yes. Okay. All right. I'm the mental patient. <laughs> Lana, same question. <laughs> uh... How do you avoid sleeping with mental patients in Vegas? Because they're kind of hard to miss. I was going to say, but like, hear me out. Like, I've dated all of the mental patients and I had, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, they're I had always a whole fun. lot of fun. They're so much fun. I like toxic. So, if you meet me, I'm the red flag. I'm the mental patient that you're dating. That's, yeah. Same. But, but I will say to add value to that is um, now that this is my home, there is literally two worlds in Vegas. There's the people who come. Yeah to Vegas because it's Vegas. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who live in the suburbs 30 minutes away who go to T-ball with their kids and, and have dinners. And the strip is the last thing on our mind. Yeah. But people just for some reason cannot fathom the thought that Vegas is anything else besides drugs, sex, and gambling. What's the craziest shit you've seen here like drug related? Like have you had a tweaker break into your garage and No, smoke? I watched a hooker smoking crack. <laughs> so I drove, I used to drive, oh. <laughs> bro, listen, I used to drive Uber. At night. And uh, uh, the, if you guys know, you'll know I'm not bullshitting uh -huh. if you know Vegas. A couple years ago on Tropicana. Um, Tropicana. Tropicana. Yeah, there was a bunch of street. What do they call it? Street, oh. I don't want to disrespect them, but yeah. A bunch <laughs> yeah. Of they call it the Workers. Tropicana Trap. Because yeah. That's a bunch of fucking whores yes. sucking dick for money. <laughs> yes. But it was right by the Burger King. Yeah. And... Um, I like Burger King. Yeah. And across the street now there's a Starbucks. But uh there's also a um an in and out. So I was always I'd always end up in that area for some reason. Yeah. Um and I would see this shit. And yeah. I would I would literally pull over, video my wife, I'm like, yo, the hookers are fighting. We have a we watched me and my wife, no shit, you can ask her, 20 minutes on FaceTime, watch like 40 hookers fist fight in the street. <laughs> and then at one time I was I was uh I saw some some like dope ass nice BMW. Yeah. This is when I knew no one gives a shit about what's going on in Vegas. <laughs> this is like two o'clock in the afternoon. I forget where in Vegas. And this this crazy Hispanic guy gets out, tats like us, yeah. big old chains, and he starts chasing this woman who had to be a, a street worker down the street. Yeah. Threatening to like murder her. Yeah. And bro, there's Tourists, people walk in. No one gave a fuck. And I'm like, he's going to kill this chick. Yeah. We should, shouldn't we help? Probably do something about gonna, it. I don't want to get stabbed. But <laughs> yeah, when I, when people are chasing, when the, and he parked his car in the middle of the road yeah. and just left it yeah. and chased a hooker down the street <laughs> screaming, I'm going to kill you, bitch. Yeah. And no one batted an eye. <laughs> That's when I knew we're in Vegas. Before you moved <laughs> to Vegas, for you, fuck. where did you live before you moved to Vegas? Oof. So, I uh, I was in California. Okay. After I cleaned my act up and uh, got sober in Louisiana and Southeast Texas, mm -hmm. 
because my kids were being held over my head and uh, I was going through so much depression, my father and I decided that if I stayed there, I would probably eat a bullet or overdose. Yeah. Uh, or relapse. So Vegas so, wasn't too much of a culture shock for you? No, especially growing up in Jersey, you know, yeah. in New York. I worked in Manhattan for a few years. So I came from, like, the San Francisco area to Vegas Okay, uh, with my wife during COVID. Yeah. We had a big fifth wheel. Okay. And we came just, you know, and we stayed for almost a year. Yeah. And then we went to Texas, did the custody stuff, and then she got pregnant, and we moved back to California for the baby to be around family. Okay. And then we got here last March. I moved a lot. Yeah. I moved like seven times during COVID. Okay. Yeah. Probably, f I think it was like 52 I counted recently that I could remember. I moved like 52 times since I was, since 9-11. Because when 9-11 happened, my dad was gone for like six months. He was in the pile and then he was so fucked up Jeez. that he was a zombie. They put him on all these meds. He was drinking every day. He was, my, my dad died that day, his yeah. soul. I mean, his partner that he called Maurice Barry and says, hey, I'm at the Yankee game. Can you work for me tomorrow? Yeah. And Maurice Barry died on my dad's shift Yeah. with 37 other guys that I grew up with. Because my dad was a single dad. I grew up going to these baseball games. Yeah. So my dad basically became a zombie. And his girlfriend at the time they, uh, was like a nurse. And they convinced my dad to move in with her. Yeah. But I'm the outcast. And she had kids. So everybody got a room. I slept on a on a on like a on a shitty old futon in the dining room with a curtain, um, and that's when the drugs started. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so man, and we're jumping. Get me forward. deep over here. <laughs> well, it's not done yet. We're jumping forward, but I have yeah, to sorry. ask you this question now. It's a good. It's a good point. Um, you said your dad died that day, right? So let me ask you a question. Was there a day that you possibly died, and was it military or was it drugs? Was it both? Um. Yeah, provable on paper, uh, March 11, 2008, about 9 p.m. Yeah, my truck got hit. I got blown up. Um, IED. IED. Don't know how I'm here. I've seen people die from much smaller blasts. Yeah. You know, and we did, after we did a ba uh, battle damage assessment in the report after, um, after looking at the truck when I got out of the hospital, if the blast was any smaller, I would have died. Yeah, really? Because I was up in the turret. So when we used to, we used to, it's hard to paint the picture, but when you're going through a city back when I was there, they had the, the, the Al Qaeda, whatever you want to call them, mm -hmm. um, had what's called RKG3 grenades. Okay. So think of a grenade that looks kind of like a water bottle uh, or a wine bottle. Uh -huh. And uh, at the end of it, it has like a, uh, a parachute, but then there's a, a suction. And uh, like thing on the end. So they could throw it. It would fly a little and it would stick to the armor and wow. it would pierce through the armor and kill everyone inside. Um, so it's like napalm, but with a, a, a backpack. Or, or yeah. So they, so they were effective because if we're in a, going through like a city, like uh, just imagine the, like going down uh, closed quarters, drive down, drive downtown Vegas, okay. old Vegas. And you see like, all the people, because there's thousands of people walking these market streets in, really? uh, in Iraq. Okay. Um, so they and then you got buildings and buildings. So it's like driving down Fremont, basically. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And every and in the alleyways, these guys would sit. Yeah. And they would just chuck these fucking grenades at the trucks, and they, they were killing our guys. Um, the, so when you're when you're gonna when you get somewhere, there's a unit that was there that we call they rip you. Yeah. So that you you go on patrol with them for a week, and then they go home. The day before the squad that showed us to crit got to go home, the guy, uh, the, the staff sergeant that was briefing us, I, I don't know his name, um, he lost his leg Jeez. 100 feet from us, and yeah. we got into a pretty big firefight. Um, welcome to Iraq. But he, he did a whole 15-month deployment, and, he, and the day before he was leaving, Jeez. lost his leg. Yeah, it's just, you know, some people lose a lot, of, and I've had a lot of friends lose their lives, but... Um, what, what was I saying? If it was a bigger, if it was a smaller blast, it yeah. would have died. So if you don't know when it comes to a blast, you're, you're, it's going to kind of go off and then you're going to, then you're going to feel it. Um, so I, I was told that I was hit by two, one, five, five mortar rounds. You get knocked out. You don't remember. I was, I, I was out for like, I don't know, a couple minutes. Yeah. I remember waking up to me saying, check, I don't want to die. I, you know, you all right? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. 
Mm-mm. I didn't die. I'm good. But uh, yeah. But that had to change your mindset. No, but right? I remember I remember pulling my vest open on the light back, covered in like soot, and asking Sergeant Marino to like check me for bleeding, because you don't want to bleed out, you know. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry, this is what I do. I'll no, pop. no, I it's good. It's <laughs> I good. And, and no, I knew it. I I, yeah. I I had a feeling, man. I don't I don't ever go this this dark. Uh, yeah. You know, but it's good. It's good. You know, and you guys need to hear it, man. A lot of people forget. 9-11 is just another day we talk about once a year. What the fuck is that? Right. You know, we forgot what happened in this country and all the heroes that died um, and all the veterans that are out there homeless and all the money we sent overseas. Don't get me started. But, like, yeah, that's right. real shit I went through. And right. a lot of my friends, you know, died going through the same shit, you know. Yeah. But uh, if the blast was smaller, I wouldn't have gotten knocked into the turret, into the truck, because I was standing up. In close quarters, we would take our, uh, our gunner's rifle and we would stand up. And kind of all go like we called it Trojan for protection. Yeah, <laughs> and we'd guard each other. Um, and I remember it was a wild night. We got time, right? Let me just can I get into like we, how we I got, got hit? Go for you it, bro. Got time. Go for so it. So the night before I got put in the hospital, um, we were like any other day on patrol. Um, actually, I was. I don't think I was with them that day. I think it was a different squad. Same platoon. So we lived in, in what's called the, the Tikrit Birthday Palace. If you've been to Iraq, you know what I'm talking about. It's in the middle of Tikrit, shithole. And uh, the Iraqi army, we lived with them. And then we had our own little, like, the size of the studio thing for us. Okay. And we chained it off and gated it so we couldn't get, you know, bombarded and killed at night. It was on the second floor. But, you know, but literally in the dead center of the city. Just bullet hole. It was it was not the safest place, but yeah. if something happened and we had to be quick reaction force, we could jump in our trucks and go go, you know, get in the get in the fight. So the day before, these motherfuckers, I'll give you that, Al Qaeda guys. Fucking, you know, I don't even have any hate to these people now. I have so many Muslim friends that I love and uh props to you guys, because I would have tried to kill you too if you came to Jersey. So <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but they were putting they were putting fucking IEDs in the palm trees. So they blew up an IED yeah. the day before, and then the next day, uh, my squad leader at the time, Sergeant Lawrence, shout out Sergeant Lawrence, crazy Marine who got uh, re-enlisted to go back into the military after 9-11 so he can go go fight. He just so happened to be the squad leader that night, which was great, but he was a little fucking out there. Yeah. You know, He'd been in Somalia with the Marine. He was his, probably still, I don't know what you're doing, bro, but <laughs> I love you. So... They said, hey, it's getting dark. Let's go on patrol and talk to some of the locals and see if anybody knows what happened, like where that bomb went off last night. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the times it's makeshift bombs, you know. Heard it was like in trash cans, Coke cans. They everything. Put them in everything. But the timing's not always there. So if they if they hit the selector switch to blow us up, you know, they sometimes they a lot of times they miss or they misjudge it. Yeah. The day before they misjudged it. And they didn't have those bomb sniffing dogs or the robots then, did they? Or uh, we had K9 and uh, I don't know. We didn't have. You have no, the robots. There was a lot of stuff, but we didn't have a, all that. Really? We had K9 a couple patrols that we knew. Like, there were some nights that were so bad, we put tourniquets on our thighs and arms. Just in case. Just in case. Jeez. And we'd put an IV in and then tape it off. Oh, I just got the fucking chill. <sighs> People don't know what fear is, man. Yeah. That's why I'm so happy all the time. So fuck, dude. <laughs> so I ain't scared of shit now. That's, that's scary. That's what I was gonna ask you. So, the, the, are you afraid of death anymore, or like have you accepted it? And I know I'm you very also have of kids. Death. I'm so scared of death. Probably affects it. I don't know if it's a post-traumatic stress thing, but I think about death every single day. It, it's a part of my anxiety issues. I, yeah. I'm, I'm always gonna die. Yeah. And I go to the. I've been to the hospital probably since I've got out. 50 times thinking I'm dying and they're like you're fine relax yeah. but now that I'm sober I don't take Xanax I don't do anything anymore Yeah, no weed no I tried it I can't yeah. I get anxiety actually to get real deep you want to get deep I mean, you're not the only one don't think I'm nuts I have homicidal and suicidal ideations when I smoke marijuana really like intense I have to leave the room okay because I'm scared 
that I'm going to hurt myself or somebody. Maybe you should sit in the graveyard and smoke. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Because everybody's dead, right? <laughs> right like, <laughs> but that's a big thing um, that a lot of veterans, especially people that were in combat, deal with is uh, the uh, the ideations and, and the crazy thoughts. I've had them for 17 years, so I'm just, I'm just kind of know that it's just a thought. If yeah. you're a new veteran who's been through some, you know, or a police, military police, and you've taken a life and you have these thoughts when you grab a knife to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for your family. You're not, you're not going to hurt anybody, you know, and you're okay. You're, yeah. you're not the only one. And I'll explain how I got through it. I was in the psych ward, um, self-admitted a few years, a few, few years back. Um, and the doctor said, um, when I told him that I have th bad thoughts like that, he was like, you're okay. That's normal. And this is, and I'll never forget, and, I, and if you're a veteran and, and this you can relate to this, this is what the doctor told me and I'll never forgot it. He said, there's a difference between thoughts and capabilities. Mm -hmm. I was on like the seventh floor because th they lock you up there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, the difference is like, it, you could look at that window and you could have the thought of, I'm going to jump out of it and fly. Huh. I'm going to jump right through the fucking plane of glass and I'm going to fly But are you away. capable? But are you capable? Yeah. So a lot of us veterans who have these ideations, um, they're just a thought like any other thought. And they only become more when you continuously think about it. Yeah. Like it's like if you stub your toe. Yeah. I'm not going to think about stubbing that I stub my toe for the next 24 hours until it drives me nuts. And I'm yeah. yelling, why did I stub my toe? Because <laughs> if you think about anything in a negative way, you know, but it, but it does happen. It doesn't happen a lot to me anymore, but I used to feel very weird around weapons. And, um, but it's normal. So it's, it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's, we're not. Nobody's gonna hurt anybody. Yeah. It's just a part of, of the post-traumatic stress from being in combat and being behind the trigger. And yeah. you know, I tell people because I say, oh, "Have you ever killed somebody?" And all, and I tell I tell people, think about all the times I didn't have to, but I had to process doing it. Yeah. Oh, it got me. So. I got a, a really That's deep. This is going to be a deep one, also. Um, so, for people who have not seen combat yet, is there any way you can prepare for it? Is there any way you can prepare the human brain for it? And this is basically for younger people going into the military who may see combat. Do you have advice for them on how to handle these situations? No, <laughs> nothing. No, because you know we see it. We could train for it. But going through it is a whole different animal. There's a smell to it. Yeah. Well, you never forget, huh? There's a fear. Yeah. I can't. I hate diesel. Yeah. I hate the smell of diesel. Jeez. Garbage. There's just a smell of death. Um, you can't replicate the fear of death. Yeah. And having no fucking control over the outcome. Yeah. The only outcome control you could have is train more, uh, trust your guys, take care of your equipment. Yeah. But nah, there's uh, I've. I mean... I thought I was prepared. I thought, damn, I can't wait to go. They killed all my dad's friends. I, I was so, I was such an incubator for hate. I was the perfect, perfect person to, to send over there at the time. Yeah. But God, as soon as I got there, I wanted to go home so bad. I was fucking petrified. Now there does come a point, and a lot of other veterans will say, like, after I got blown up in March and gone through some stuff, and you hear, like, oh, nine soldiers died in this same general area today and you're oh well we're going back on patrol in the same area for 12 hours uh, you just get to a point where you're like fuck it this is my job like if i think about every soda can is going to take my leg off i won't be able to perform yeah if the doctor's doing brain surgery and he thinks i'm going to kill every fucking patient yeah he's never going to do another surgery yeah so once you kind of like I'm, i wrote a note that i love my family and I manned the fuck up. I put my hand up to the cost and the amount of my life, and uh, I was ready to give it. Were you scared of needles before you went in the military? No. Because <laughs> if you did, that definitely changed. You remember that peanut butter shot? Oh, you man. You had to roll on your ass? <laughs> That's so funny. And, and speaking of shots and veterans, there's a good way to find if someone's completely full of shit and talking about combat. Uh. One is their age. You can clearly think if they're in their 50s, they were... Not 50s now. If, if they're in their 60s, yeah. early 60s, they, they're definitely non-Vietnam vets, and they were too old so, to go to Iraq, right? Yeah. So age is one thing. But the most significant identifier to see if someone's completely full of shit uh, and they're telling you that they're a war vet is, look at their left arm mm -hmm. on the upper left the, shoulder. Yeah, I got mine too. The poke, 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 poke. You got to get one to go overseas. What is that called again? What's, what's Smallpox. That's right. See it? Yeah. That, that scar right there? Yeah. 
If they don't have a small, if you ask them what's, if, where, where's your small pox scar? Yeah, and they, and they look at you, you like you got a dick in your forehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're full of shit. Bro, we're jumping way ahead. <laughs> I got to ask you this question while it's in my mind, though. What's the dumbest shit you've ever got smoked for in the military? <laughs> oh, you want to. <laughs> what's the dumbest, the dumbest shit, shit? You did to get push ups for, basically, for those who don't know? For completely embarrassing my bunkmate, but I'll break it down. Toward the end of boot camp, we're about to go on our last field exercise before we get, you know, the ceremony or whatever that, you know, where we kill goats and fucking drink your brother's blood, you know. <laughs> so you're going to your final field training exercise, FTX. And right before we go on our, like, three-hour ruck march, yeah. the drill sergeants go, if you got to take a leak, go upstairs. You got to take a shit, go do it now. Yeah. Everybody runs up. I'm in the bathroom waiting because all the stalls are full. And my bunkmate, forget his name. He comes out of the stall. I go in, and there's shit in the toilet, and there's no fucking toilet paper. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Did you not wipe your ass? And he looks at me crazy, and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I'm 18. I tell everyone upstairs, are you fucking? I'm showing people. So we I'm go down. People. Yeah, it's just a bunch of dudes, you know? So we go downstairs, we're, uh, we're back in formation, and I'm Ugh. fucking laughing. And I'm t I was always a loud Jersey shit talker. I Ugh. tried to fight everyone. I was nuts. And I'm like talking shit. I'm like, this motherfucker didn't wipe his ass. And the drill sergeant's like, what'd you say? Oberhofer, what'd you say? <laughs> and he looks at me like with the, the most sincere, please don't do this Ugh. set of eyes I've ever, ever seen. And I looked at him and I said, I have to. And I told the drill sergeant that so-and-so took a dump upstairs and didn't wipe his ass before we're going in the woods for two weeks. Yeah. Wow. And because I made him cry and I couldn't not, I couldn't stop laughing. It was basically because I couldn't stop laughing in formation. They were like, lock it the fuck up, private. And I just died. So that's the dumbest reason I've ever. Well, another time it was my birthday and the drill sergeant was taking a a oh, shit, this is another funny bathroom story. <laughs> and Karen Bellis, fuck you, motherfucker. I made it through the whole day without getting fucking smoked. And your bitch ass had to tell the drill sergeant it was my birthday. Uh, and uh, he made fun of the drill sergeant, not knowing he was in the stall. Yeah. And then he comes down and he goes, hey, but it's Oberhofer's birthday. And we go outside and it's freezing cold, winter in Missouri, and it's raining ice sideways into the snow. Yeah. And we got sent outside for like three hours on my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday! One, two, three, four. <laughs> Fucking Carabellus. I hope you see this and stub your toe. <laughs> May I chime in and ask a question? Go for it. Um, for Bobby, I just wanted to know, like, ob obviously going into the to September 11 war. I mean, the war that happened after September 11. You agreed with it. Did you agree with it coming out? I didn't even. I can't even say I agreed with it then because I was just too naive. Well, I mean, the, I didn't even understand. There's a lot it. of manipulation going on with the government and the way they sell yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, the targets were Dastashes uh, and looked like people from the Middle East. It was complete hypocrisy at its finest. Um, let's fill these children with hate because they're naive and know nothing. Oh, and your dad was in 9 11. Oh, we're going to get you good. They got me good. Um, no, absolutely. Uh, I think George Bush is a fucking lying piece of shit. There was no weapons of mass destruction. I think all my friends are dead and the rest of us are fucked up. Uh, with issues um, that cause PTSD and, and and addiction and homelessness and all this shit for a war based off of greed, hate, and power that did, did shouldn't even have fucking existed. Yeah. No, I love the Muslim community. Assalamu alaikum, marhaba, shlonik. Fuck that war. Yeah. Pointless. Pointless, 100%. I hope that answered your question. Oh, yeah. Um, Thank you. So, Marines or Army? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best interview I've ever had. <laughs> oh, Marines, man. right? So I, I, uh, my grandfather, who I'll say publicly, I never met because he was a violent piece of shit, and my dad wouldn't allow me to meet him. Um, was a Marine, so I always grew up knowing I had a a, a badass grandpa. You know, yeah. I was in the Marine Corps. You know, twenty five, thirty years ago, I was like Marines, Marines. So I wanted to go in the Marines originally, but because I had a GD and I had a tattoo below my elbow. Wow. I would have had to get 15 college credits 
to make my GED uh, equivalent to a high school diploma. So I only need one waiver to go in the Marines. And when by the time they were done telling me that, I was like, I'm not fucking doing that. And I walked across the hall and joined the Army. No. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I was probably stoned when I was in there. I was uh, When I told people I was going to be military police, they were like, you what? Yeah. You just sold me weed yesterday. Like, you, I saw you throw a gallon of milk at a guy in a 7-Eleven and, like, fight. Like, I was a nut job. But I, I do now, looking back in hindsight, uh, no, no regrets, but I, I did serve a lot with uh, the Marine Corps. I went to the uh, Marine Corps-led non-lethal weapons instructor course, the Iowa course, when I was in Germany. And I do believe that the military needs to adopt a lot of the the training and a lot of the discipline um, and bearing that the Marine Corps has because their standard is still stupendously high yeah. compared to the rest of the armed forces. Right. Where they will succeed based off of sheer discipline. Yeah, but let's be honest, you can't you can't expect the National Guard to do what the Marines does. Like, no. But if you start at the core, like with anything, yeah. You know, it's a lot easier to sh- teach someone how to shoot who's never shot. If you're Kentucky Windage, just bad bullshit. habits. Yeah. yeah. So if you start off the core of that person from civilian to soldier based on the same military bearing ethics of the Marine Corps, and I think that success will be easier achieved later. Yeah. Personally, per individual. Okay. You know, if that makes sense. If you're better trained. In the beginning, yeah, it'll stick with you. So when you get to the National Guard, you could still be fat and call each other Bob and Joe <laughs> and only hang out two days a month. But when you hang out for two days a month, you'll do your job better. Yeah. They used to say in order to do the National Guard, you have to be at least six foot in case your boat sinks, you can walk back to shore. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I just called a guy out the other day. He had a, uh, he had a Vietnam, Vietnam Iraq war vet hat. Yeah. I was like Vietnam. He must have. I was like, where were you? Himself. The only guy I've ever met that was in Vietnam and Iraq was a civilian contractor who was an FBI agent who was in a um, he was an an interrogator that worked with us. Yeah. So when we were going to go pick up a high value target, um, or we were doing um, some snatch and grabs, or you know, like hard door knocks, soft door knocks, or just knocking in. Hopefully, they'll let you in a hard door. We're going in live. They were the initial interrogator within the first three minutes of flashbang, clear the house, zip tie. They were the ones who would interrogate the the bad guy. Yeah. But they were civilians. So to have an, a V, you would have to be maybe a four star general. Yeah. How long are they allowed to be in? 40 years? Yeah. I don't even, I just, so I kind of was like, dude. And then he said, oh, I, I, I was in Iraq because uh, he said something about a ship. You got to watch out for these fake motherfuckers too. Thank you for your service, but <laughs> shut up. They, they say they were an Iraq vet. Yeah. Because they were a thousand miles offshore on a boat. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> I mean... Everybody has their part. I'm just a regular MP. I don't yeah. claim to be special forces. I'm not a fucking... Cr- I, no, I, I didn't have the most motivation. I was a regular Joe. Yeah. But now I... But s- people stop claiming to be shit. You're not. I hate I, that shit. But I've seen pictures of you online where you were vested up. You were in combat, right? But then you were military police. I thought, in my mind, right? Yeah, me too. I thought they <laughs> stayed on the base and you actually went in combat. Like, That's what I thought. I thought you would maybe be um, guarding the base in Iraq or something like that. But no, they put you out in the city. How, do, how does that work? Is just everybody who's there is a body goes? Bro, my, my dad was an MP. Yeah. He said, go be an MP. You get out. You can become a cop or get any type of good job, whatever. And he's like, and you'll just be on the base. And I'm like, that sounds dope. Must have switched. <laughs> I fu- we get we I get there. I'm a regular MP on the army base. Yeah, I did not know another naiveness of me that MP one s- military police squad in a combat zone carries more firepower and weaponry than an entire platoon of infantry. Jeez. Now, because we were on patrol all the time, it was kind of because Tikrit didn't have enough personnel. The base of Tikrit. Uh, the MPs on the base was Air Force, SF. They call them SF. Yeah. Um, so there were 
military police on the base. They drove dope Ford F-150s that were air-conditioned, and I wish I joined the Air Force. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? Oh, but <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, we were combat um, landowners because to crit needed more people, and the 1st Brigade, 3rd Combat Brigade Combat Team, 101st Airborne, was there, and we got attached to them, so they pulled our company because we were the only combat arms in the whole 1st Armored Division. 1st Armored Division's like, it was a lot of comms, the armor was more of like back in the day, no. you know, like like you know World War Two and stuff. They kept the armored name because it's iconic, but we were the only unit in the whole division that was combat related. So we got stuck doing, you know, regular infantry style combat the whole yeah. fifty month tour. How did you feel about the armor? I heard they had like an eighty seven million dollar budget or something like that, and I've seen videos. Uh, basically, like thin pieces of tent just put over the um, Humvee as a secondary. <laughs> like, did you feel safe with the secondary armor, or can you go into a little bit of that? Or so I, I am. I'm blessed that I was there in 07. Okay. Um, my big bro, uh, Josh, I love you. Did three deployments: one with me, two with the Third uh, Cav. Um, the the initial invasion guys had like soft top. Humvees, uh, some sandbags at the floors, and Jeez. you know, um, there were some trucks that we'd see. Like if somebody, you know, their truck got destroyed, rest in peace. Whether they, you know, somebody passed or not, there was a on every base. There was a, it was like a, it was almost like a junkyard. It was a, you didn't want to look at it. Mm -hmm. All the trucks that got destroyed, it was it was it was scary to drive by when you're leaving a base to go on patrol, and you're like, God damn, that truck's fucked. But they would go over there and like take some of the armor and, and slap it on. Yeah. But I was blessed with M1151 up armored Humvees that okay. the doors weighed 600 pounds. I, I was good, thankfully, because if it wasn't, again, we wouldn't we wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah. I would have been shredded. So the ball when I, when I say I fell in, yeah. my turret. Um, I'll find the pictures and send them to you. If any of you guys see this and you have the pictures of my truck, um, hit me up, please. Um, the uh, the turret had like a hundred holes in it. No, because the IED was also duct taped with ball bearings. Yeah, and it shredded like. I mean, you could it, it went right through the the whole turret because it was. Let's say this is the turret. I'm standing up here. When it went boom, the blast wave knocked me in the into the truck. But this is the turret, right? I fell in it. The blast went like that. Yeah, it didn't go like this because it was coming out of the ground. Thank God, because sometimes they're in like a bush or in a mountain. If that would have been the case, I'd be dead. Um, we'd all be dead. But because it went up, it only went through the turret. I mean, some of the windows had glass and some shit. It was pretty fucked up. A couple of flat tires. But uh, there was uh, like a hundred holes in the turret. Yeah. And I had fell in and I'm on my back, knocked out. And I wake up and I can't see. It's, you know, and it, is, it was dark out now. Um, so I think the armor's great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys, whoever made that shit. All right. You could knock a cow out. You could knock over a, a live big cow with an up armored door. Yeah. I don't know how, but it's possible. So I, we could skip this question if you want, but this is going to be another deep question. All right. Um, have you ever had to stack bodies? <laughs> no, thankfully. Okay. But I've 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 certainly witnessed. Yes. So because so. Iraqi army did a lot of the things we didn't want to do. Okay. And they did pretty much that grunt work. Yeah. So they're, they're, I know back in the day, um, and I'm sure there were some guys, there used to be like kind of like cleanup detail for bodies. Um, but no, we did a, we did battle damage assessments that would hurt. Like, um, I don't even know if I can say, yeah, it's been a long time. So there was a house one time where we believed there were some bad guys, we'll say. Misinformation. Yeah. And uh that was my next question. Yeah, there was there was uh there was a big we got called out to go support. There was a big fight. We ended up calling on the bird, and the bird took the house out, and when we did the battle damage assessment, um there was there was there was kids, you know. I I uh I remember my squad leader's face when they, they came back, I had to stay in the gun and you know, there was a these guys were fighting, they were so passionate about killing Americans that they were willing to fight out of the windows of their house with their babies in the house. No. And uh, we didn't know. So they called in the bird and took the house out. No. And it was the wrong, it was, it was, they were bad guys, but there was another house, something, maybe it's been a long, I think one of the houses, maybe it was a different day, 15 months, man, 
10 patrols a day, you yeah. know. There was a house. It made national news. Lana, do you, can, you have your phone on you? Yes. Can you look up Kadasia? K- How do you spell it? K-H-A Kadasia, D-A-S-I-A, 2008, Iraq. Kadasia, Iraq, 2008. Fox News, like something. Something. Did I spell it right? K-H-A-D-A-I-S-A, Kadasia. So to crit, Kadasia, little farther down, Baghdad, and then above to crit, Mosul. Where they found Saddam was in the middle of. Uh, oh no 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 not Kadesia Kadesia is north. Uh, put in why not W Y N O T T. Why not ten minutes ten clicks north off of Route Tampa um, is where Saddam was in the hole and we drove by it. Really, really, and never knew every day. Huh. But basically, or he might have gotten. They might have found him before. It was in the same time frame. Yeah. That's where he was in between. That was our, we had, we had right outside of the base, we had Kadasia, which is a little mud hut area. The kids were great. Um, and then go to the city of Tikrit and then south of Tikrit another 30 minutes was why not? Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. see anything in why not for like wrong house got hit by Americans or international, put it international incident. Why not? Let me look it up. Yeah. Cause it, it, it was bad. And uh, the Blackwater dudes were involved. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. But basically, people had to die because of misinformation. All the time. The- you know how many times people got shot on their wedding day? Really? Because what do they do for celebratory? I don't know. They what? run outside and shoot AKs into the air. That's what they do? Well, if we're on patrol and you run out into an alleyway to celebrate and shoot in your AK, what's going to happen? Are you going to get shot? <laughs> I'm trying to read Every through. Thursday. Yeah, it, I mean, you know, don't kill wow. yourself, but yeah, why not? No, it does. It does say that the um, that it was one of the bloodiest Taliban attacks of the war. But basically, that they they went into the wrong base and Americans. It said American troops were stationed near Qom, and they uh, the Taliban attacked the American troops. Yeah, they actually stole, bro. The guys that were up in the 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 towers supposed to keep. They were sleeping. Really, they took their rifles from them. And they didn't kill them though. They no, just they took did. Their weapons. I oh, think they, they all killed them. Wow. But we, I, uh, but we, I remember wondering, like, why do they have our guns? How do they have night vision? Yeah. I remember. So they killed them and took the night vision in the guns. Bro, there was a night that we got into a bad firefight. It's a long story. We'll talk about it another time. All right. I know you got a lot of stuff. Um, but I had a we all, show, bro. <laughs> we we had beacons. We had like IR beacons, infrared beacons on our Kevlar's, right? Yeah. So I was on a SKT small kill team as a, a support gunner with the 240 Bravo. So we got dropped off. Um, we'd walk like five clicks to a grid coordinate where they were putting a lot of IEDs in the grounds and killing Americans. So we went out and uh, the sniper team, we set up about five of us and hung out, drank soda, ate honey buns, smoked, you know, put a dip in, yeah. waiting for somebody to put a bomb in the ground, right? The communication, so there's, there's, there's like, let's say you're not a soldier, but you're, you're from Jersey, right? And you want to help Jersey. Uh-huh. So they go, okay, you can help. Like the contractors you're talking about? Like the no, military? they had civilians, who, because every household's allowed one gun. So they mm-hmm. had what's called, called damn, the soda's going to be burping. <laughs> Excuse me. They called it CLC members, so concerned. Concerned local citizens. Yeah. Um, so they, for some reason, our intel, like, hey, these guys are going to be on a small kill team, and anybody that is in that area doing weird shit at night is going to go bye-bye. Yeah. Nobody told the concerned local citizens who th- also thought, hey, let's go and watch that same thing because pe- bad people are planning. Nobody told us wow. that they were going to be there. Nobody told them that, that we were going to be there. there. So we're literally, I'm like, wow. I'm laying. Now think about like, we're on a little bit of a hill. There's a major highway. Behind us is like almost like wetland farm. Yeah. And it's like nasty. And I did not know this until I was running under com- ridiculous gunfire from my life to a truck that was a football field away. And I'm falling up to my chest in the water and dirt. And I'm like, oh, this is it. I'm dead. <laughs> I mean, I literally, we got shot out so, shot out so much that night. And I got so tired from carrying all the shit that I was taking breaks. 
just laying in the water watching the fucking rounds over our heads because we just i had nothing left because when you're running for your life the yeah. exhaustion fuck yeah so um what happened was they were there like down here let's say right right this table is where the, the bad guys are planting bobs, bombs. You and I are up on this hill. We're watching that. They're over there by the plant. They're watching that. They saw us somehow because we're not special forces. Yeah. They saw us. I don't know if they saw a light or something. So what do they do? They, have, they all have ridiculous 50 cal automatic weapons and all kinds of shit. They think, oh, we're going to do something good for the Americans and our people. And they start unloading thousands of rounds at us. And we don't know where the fuck it's coming from. I'm like, is it coming from the south? Is it coming from the north? Took us a while. And then somebody said, uh, what if they have night vision? And I remembered on my Kevlar, I had a big bleak, bl like blinker yeah. that let the choppers know Americans are down here. Yeah. And I'm thinking, they're shooting at me and my head's blinking? Yeah. Like, fuck, I threw that shit, man. Uh, they asked for it later. Those things are like expensive, you know? I was like, yeah. I'm, no wonder they're placing their shots so well yeah i'm a great target i'm blinking <laughs> so yeah Jeez. i don't know if that answered your question but uh are we i think we we're in here because there was no time right we, we got two we got part two so yeah we're fine oh, oh, <laughs> oh we my got... bad then never mind oh then <laughs> i'm telling you no let's end it and start another one because yeah, we, sure. we gotta get you to do another intro yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know okay. if that i didn't know you're fine i got one last question before we wrap this up right so there's been many times when you could have lost your life and you're still here. What do you think? What is your purpose? What, what do you think you were kept alive for? My daughters. Mm. Okay. And my wife. I, okay. think, I think I was here to save her from herself. Yeah. I get emotional. I love her. Okay. Yeah. She's been through a lot. What a lot of pieces of shit. Yeah. And she's been, uh, she's been hurt. Okay. And she deserves me. All right, we answered that one kind of quick. Uh, so last question now, I guess. Um, what was your biggest misconception going into the military, and what's your viewpoint on that now? <laughs> that we mattered. <laughs> <laughs> we Everybody, don't, uh, <laughs> Everybody's got to learn. I, I was <laughs> just about to say, that's a dope-ass question. I can't wait to hear the answer. I wasn't like, expecting it to I be that <laughs> easy for him. I was <laughs> expecting, like, something deep. Like, <laughs> Me too. Well, I can I can explain it that we mattered. You know, the, one of the one of the most humbling times in my life was that when I one day was a you know uh, an Alpha Squad leader with chevrons and a bunch of uh, ribbons and foreign awards and combat experience, and, and I was looked up to as a as a as a leader. And 24 hours later, I'm in Jersey in my dad's house, and I'm just Bobby, and no one gives a fuck. Yeah. You go to the gas station, you go out, you just they. I, I don't condone men to have big egos. But in a very masculine position where your life is on the line, ego is what's going to keep you alive. So they build egos. Some of the best leaders have the biggest egos yeah. because they're not scared to get up there and, and, and speak their truth. But when you get out and you're just Bobby yeah. going to Wawa, no one gives a fuck. Um, and, and then when you got to fight for your benefits and, uh, your treatment of vets is shit. and your friends are shooting themselves in the head every year yeah. and the families get no help. It's, uh, yeah, we don't matter. We do matter. We really do fucking matter. And if you don't think you matter, come see me. I'll smack shit out of you. I'll let you, I'll remind <laughs> Jersey you. Jersey coming out. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, just thinking that we were bigger, you know, that we mattered more than, than we did. We're just a, we're just another number. Yeah. Yeah, just another serial number. We're no different than the night vision no. equipment. Right? Yep, that's it. Expendable product. My man. All right. <laughs> yeah. Lana, you want to give us an outro so we can go into the second one? An, an outro? Yep, outro. Oh, like a what kind of outro? Uh, you said you was good at the spot. Uh, well, I didn't know I was. I, I thought he was gonna ask me questions. So like I thought he was gonna ask me questions. But on that note, guys from Justice Junkies, we we according to Bobby, we matter. So I think we're gonna keep it at that. Hey. So we matter. Thank you, Bobby, and thank you, Matthew. Bye, bye, guys. <laughs>